Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You may be seated. So our readings this, uh, this morning are the, from the seventh Sunday of Easter, and it's always good to uh, uh, understand that our readings are just not chosen haphazardly. You know, let's just have worship and, uh, oh, I think that's a good one to do, and that's another one. In the Lutheran Church, we have that liturgical uh, setting. Uh, we have pericopes that our church fathers have selected over the course of different seasons. And the reasons we have different seasons is that it centers around the life of Jesus Christ. So, like, for example, in December, we will begin to, beginning to enter a new season, the Advent season. It will take us through Christmas, through the life and the birth of Jesus. We'll see him manifested in the season of Epiphany. We'll see him grow, and we'll see him teach and come alive. And then we'll see him travel through the uh, season of Lent, where he, we will witness his sacrifice on our behalf, and ultimately to the great glorious resurrection and to the life that we have in him, which is kind of like where we are right now. And all of the scriptures and all of the liturgy is built around the life of Jesus Christ. That's how our church fathers have chosen our scriptures that we read each and every Sunday. Thursday of uh, last week was 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the ascension. Scripture tells us that 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended to heaven. And that's what happened a few days ago. We commemorate. Today, we look at that, as I mentioned earlier, that we are sort of sandwiched in between ascension and Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Why is the ascension so important? The ascension is so important is that the scriptures have made it a point of bringing, uh, uh, calling our attention to that wonderful moment on the hill of Mount Olive, about a mile east of Jerusalem, where Jesus was taken up before them. And that's why we have to go back just to Luke chapter 24, where we'll read about the ascension and how our Lord works. Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 50. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. You probably didn't get that, did you? We think that Jesus blessed the apostles, the disciples, and then he was taken up into heaven. Scene one, Jesus blesses the apostles. Scene two, cut. He is taken up into heaven. But that's not what Scripture tells us. The language is very, very particular and very, very specific. He lifted up, up his hands and he blessed them. And then the translator says in verse 51, while he was blessing them, literally in the blessing of the apostles, 
in the blessing of the disciples, he was taken up before them. During the blessing, not afterwards. Why is that specific? Well, it certainly does stand out. Have you ever been cut off uh, in mid-sentence by someone? Have you ever cut off mid-sentence? As if you've got something important to say, or you want to move on to another topic or another, another subject, right? That stands out. Somebody's talking, oh, hold on a second, let me tell you something. You're not going to let them finish the thought. That's what's going on. Jesus is blessing them. He has taken them out and says, the promised Holy Spirit will come upon you, and here's the blessing. It's like as if the pastor were preaching a sermon, and then he stops and that ends it, and it leaves. You know, like right now, if I were to leave, you'd miss me, right? Yeah, in the midst of the blessing, he's taken up. Luke wants us to know that. Our Lord ascended into heaven. He doesn't stop blessing, right? I mean, that is the point. He didn't bless and then leave. He's continuing to bless as he's taken up into heaven. That's extraordinary. His hands are already outreached, laying his hands upon the people. While he was blessing, he was taken up into heaven. We have a God who lives and a God who hears our prayers and he never stops interceding and he never stops blessing. And I know sometimes, dear friends, we are in the world and it can be not very pretty and we are set with afflictions and challenges and missed opportunities. And we kick ourselves and we'd like to kick someone else too along the way probably. And we feel then during those times and those low moments that maybe the blessings of God are no longer around for some reason. You know, the, the, the spigot has been shut. God's word is silent in my life, you might think sometimes. Where is God? Does he care? And that's an awful, awful time to experience that, but it's also a time to soul search as well. Because sometimes when we don't hear the word of God, sometimes when we think that the spigot of blessings have been shut off, or that he's not around or doesn't care, Maybe that's an opportunity for us to soul-search ourselves. Maybe we have wandered away from the will of God, from His Word. Maybe we're the ones that have separated ourselves. Maybe we're to blame. Because what God tells us in the Scriptures is that He's always active in our lives. The Word of God that brought you to faith is described as living and active. The Word doesn't perish, it doesn't spoil, and it doesn't fade away, according to St. Peter. So it's living, it's active in our lives. And Jesus demonstrates that, that as He is separating, He continues to bless. 
that's what we have to embrace. That's what is so special about the Word of God and about our living, resurrected Lord. Is that He's always with us. He sends His Holy Spirit to the disciples. And we will celebrate that event next Sunday. But in the meantime, the disciples go back. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to the upper room. It's as if as we're following the life of Christ in our liturgy right now, we are going back to church. That sounds kind of boring. Going to church. Doesn't it? I mean, let's just face facts. What are you going to do today? I'm going to go to church. What are you going to do tomorrow night? I got a meeting at church. What are you going to do this weekend? Oh, well, I'm going to go to church. That doesn't sound very good, right? What are you going to do this weekend? Oh, I'm going to the amusement park. Then I'm going to go to the ball game. Oh, sounds great. Got an extra ticket? The last time anybody asked you for an extra ticket to church. It sounds so dull and drab. But imagine the life in the apostles. They're going to go back to the upper room, church, the ecclesia, the, the gathering of the body of Christ. And they pick up the word of God and they search it. And they pray and they engage in fellowship because the Holy Spirit will come upon them. The Comforter, the Consoler, the Spirit of the Living Christ. He is blessing us and we are waiting for His arrival. That's what they're doing. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 1. That's what we're supposed to be doing in church, in our upper room. We're engaging in fellowship with the living Word of God. We're receiving the means of grace when the sacrament is offered, the body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. Unlike the apostles, we know the blessing. The blessing from the altar doesn't perish or spoil or fade. It's always available. The Word of God is always always at work in you. We never should doubt the forgiveness of sins and the life we have in Jesus Christ. That is built into our DNA by the rebirthing of our faith life. Oh, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like I'm in touch with God. It's okay. We're in a broken world. It's okay to feel that way. But that's not the objective reality. And that's not the truth of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 17, the the Lord prays for His disciples. In fact, it's a long discourse. It's a long discourse that begins way back in chapter 14. And what prompts this long discourse from Jesus? It's a question from Judas, the son of James, one of the eleven. He asks the Lord, Why are you 
manifesting yourselves only to us? Why are you only opening up this great revelation to us? In other words, why doesn't the whole world know about this? Why aren't you bringing this to the whole world? And Jesus begins this long discourse. You've heard it all. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will abide in me. You will know my love. Stay with one another in the fellowship. That's a a discourse that goes from chapters 14, 15, 16, and all the way over here. And then he winds the whole thing up with this wonderful prayer to the Father. Praying for us. Father, they're going to be in the world. We're not going to take them out of the world. And they're going to serve the world through the powerful word that we've given them. And I'm going to sanctify them. I'm going to sanctify my people. I'm going to make them holy. And I'm going to separate them out. They will have the word of truth. And they will go forward. They will be the light. That's our future in this world be the light of Christ that we know that we have received. What a powerful prayer that is from our Lord. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It goes right to the heart of what St. Paul says in the book of Philippians. That our citizenship, your citizenship, is in heaven. It's not here. This place is merely temporary. God gives us his eternal, St. John tells us in the letter. It's eternal and it's forever. And it speaks of a quality of life that God has bought for us through his blood. That he has preserved for us through his word. That doesn't perish or spoil or fade. Our memory reminds us of how we should go about living out that life that God has given us in Christ. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We don't run this race in this world alone. That would make the cross unworthy. Run it, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. How did Jesus go forward before us? Always looking to the Father, relying on His Word, trusting Him, obedient to His direction, sacrificing for others, loving those in the fellowship, loving the community, even those who would reject us. That's beyond our own ability. But the power of the Holy Spirit living in you brings you to that realization. 
gives you strength. That end of that verse there, I cut it off because in Hebrews chapter 12 because I thought it might be too long for you to memorize. I thought this would be enough. But I need to point out that that verse continues. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith and for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He looked beyond the cross. He knew He was going to have to suffer, but He looked beyond it because He knew the glory He knew the victory. He knew the life that was set before him. So with us. Whatever cross might be in in, in front of you, look beyond it. Look beyond it and look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He has prayed for us that the evil one would have no harm over us. We shouldn't. We have that victory over Him. But look beyond the cross. Look to Jesus. That's His prayer. It's secured in His blood. It's grace that never ends. It's blessings even though when we don't see it, (laughs) exist. This is the great gift of the ascension. The great gift of Easter. Next week we will rejoice in the gift of the Holy Spirit who brings us and points us always and continually to the great gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen. And now the peace of Christ which passes all of our understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.